0: good afternoon ladies and gentlemen welcome to the tc energy 2020 first quarter results conference call i would now like to turn the meeting over to mr david Manetta, vice president investor relations please go ahead mr Manetta.
1: thank you and thanks very much and good afternoon everyone i'd like to welcome you to tc energy's 2020 first quarter conference call joining me today are russ gerling president and chief executive officer Don Marchand, Executive Vice President, Strategy and Corporate Development, and Chief Financial Officer. Francois Poirier, Chief Operating Officer and President, Power and Storage and Mexico. Tracy Robinson, President, Canadian Natural Gas Pipelines. Stan Chapman, President, U.S. Natural Gas Pipelines. Paul Miller, President, Liquids Pipelines. Bevan Wurzbaugh, Senior Vice President, Liquids Pipelines. And Glenn Manuse, Vice President and Controller. Russ and Don will begin today with some opening comments on our financial results and certain other company developments. A copy of the slide presentation that will accompany their remarks is available on our website. It can be found in the Investor section under the heading Events and Presentations. Following their prepared remarks, we will take questions from the investment community. If you are a member of the media, please contact Jamie Harding following this call and she'd be happy to address your questions. In order to provide everyone from the investment community with an equal opportunity to participate, we ask that you limit yourself to two questions. If you have additional questions, please re-enter the queue. Also, we ask that you focus your questions on our industry, our corporate strategy, recent developments, and key elements of our financial performance. If you have detailed questions relating to some of our smaller operations or your detailed financial models, Hunter and I would be pleased to discuss them with you following the call. Before Russ begins, I'd like to remind you that our remarks today will include forward-looking statements that are subject to important risks and uncertainties. For more information on these risks and uncertainties, please see the reports filed by TC Energy with Canadian Securities Regulators and with the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission. And finally, during this presentation, we'll refer to measures such as comparable earnings, comparable earnings per share. Comparable earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization are comparable EBITDA and comparable funds generated from operations. These and certain other comparable measures are considered to be non-GAAP measures. As a result, they may not be comparable to similar measures presented by other entities. They are used to provide you with additional information on TC Energy's operating performance, liquidity, and its ability to generate funds to finance its operations. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Russ.
2: Thank you, David, and good afternoon, everyone, and thank you all very much for joining us today. Clearly, we're living in an unprecedented times with COVID-19, uh, the pandemic having a significant impact on millions of people around the world. So on behalf of TC Energy, Um, I'd like to start by expressing my sincere thanks to the frontline healthcare and other essential service workers who are risking their personal safety to ensure the well-being of others. Your selfless acts during this difficult time are truly courageous. At TC Energy, as always, we too are focused on health and safety of our employees, our contractors and the communities in which we operate. When the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic in early March, Our business continuity plans were put in place across the organization, allowing us to continue to effectively operate our assets and execute on our capital programs. The services we provide are broadly considered essential or critical in Canada, the United States, and Mexico, given the important role our infrastructure plays in delivering energy to people across the continent. And uh, that's a responsibility we take very seriously Like many others, thousands of our employees are now working remotely while those that must be physically at our work sites are following rigorous health, hygiene and distancing protocols. I want to acknowledge and thank our employees and their families for their ongoing efforts to ensure the energy that is vital to the daily lives of so many continues to be delivered seamlessly across North America and your efforts are truly making a difference. Turning now to our first quarter financial results and certain other recent developments across our three core businesses, With approximately 95% of our comparable EBITDA coming from regulated or long-term contracted assets, we are largely insulated from the volatility associated with volume throughput and the commodity prices that are being experienced by many others. Aside from the impact of normal maintenance activities and seasonal factors to date, we have not seen any meaningful change in the utilization of our assets, which further reinforces their critical nature um, to North America. As a result, as highlighted in our first quarter report, our $100 billion portfolio, high-quality long-life energy infrastructure assets continue to produce strong financial results. And we continue to capitalize, or we continue to realize, the growth expected from our industry-leading capital program. Today, that program that we're advancing, it's $43 billion of secured capital projects, and it now includes Keystone XL. In addition, we continue to advance more than $10 billion of projects under development, including the refurbishment of another five reactors at Bruce Power as part of their long-term life extension program. Over the last four months, we took significant steps to fund our 2020 capital expenditure program and maintain our strong financial position despite challenging capital market conditions. More specifically, we enhanced our liquidity by more than $9 billion through the issuance of long-term debt in both Canada and the United States at very attractive rates, the establishment of incremental committed credit facilities, and the sale of three Ontario natural gas-fired power plants. When combined with our predictable and growing cash flow from operations and the sale of a 65% interest in the Coastal GasLink project, uh, which is uh, scheduled to close in the second quarter, we believe that we're very well positioned to continue to fund our capital program and other obligations through a prolonged period of disruption in capital markets if that was to occur. Looking forward, we expect our solid operating and financial performance to continue, with 2020 comparable earnings per share still anticipated to be similar to the, recorded, or the record results that we produced in 2019. While we're proud of our financial performance and the significant returns we've generated for our shareholders we know that our ongoing success depends on our ability to balance profitability with safety and environmental and social responsibility we have a 65 year track record of safe and reliable operations but we recognize that we can always improve to keep you better informed we have published several investor focused esg documents over the past year they describe some of the work we're doing to ensure our business remains resilient in an ever-evolving energy landscape. All of this can be found on our website at tcenergy.com. With that as an overview, I'll explain some of the recent developments, beginning with a brief review of our first quarter uh, financial results. Don will provide more detail of our results and liquidity in just a few minutes. Excluding certain specific items, comparable earnings were $1.1 billion, or $1.18 per common share for the three months ended Uh, March 31st compared to $1 billion or $1.7 per share in 2019, which was an increase of 10% on a per share basis. Comparable EBITDA of $2.5 billion was 6% higher than the amount reported for the same period last year, while comparable funds generated from operations was $2.1 billion, which was 17% higher than the comparable period. Each of these amounts reflects. The strong performance of our legacy assets as well as contributions from another 1.6 billion dollars of new long-term contracted and rate regulated assets placed into service in early 2020. Next, I'll make a few comments on our three core businesses starting with our natural gas pipeline business. Customer demand for our services remains strong despite the COVID-19 uh, impacts um, on the broader North American economy. Evidence of this can be seen in the volumes transported across our systems with the NGTL system field receipts averaging about 12.2 BCF a day, the Canadian mainline Western receipts averaging 3.2 BCF a day, our broader U.S. pipeline network moving approximately 26 BCF a day, and our Mexican pipelines moving approximately 1.5 BCF a day. Each of these amounts are similar to or greater than the volumes moved over the same period last year. At the same time, we continue to advance more than $27 billion of capital projects associated with our natural gas pipeline businesses. The program includes significant expansion of our NGTL system, capacity additions of our, to our U.S. Uh, network, the Via de Ray pipeline, the TULA project, um, and our coastal GasLink pipeline project in British Columbia, which will play an important role in delivering Canadian natural gas to Asian markets. Well it's too early to determine whether the COVID-19 uh, pandemic will have any long-term impacts on our capital programs, what I would say is, directionally, we would expect some slowdown of our construction activities and capital expenditures in 2020 because of the global, uh, the global health crisis and the impact uh, the COVID-related safety, programs will, safety protocols will have on our construction productivity. Finally, in natural gas pipelines, last week we were pleased to announce a five-year revenue uh, requirement settlement with our customers on the NGTL system. The settlement, uh, which runs from January 2020 through December 2024, sets a base equity return of 10.1% on 40% deemed common equity and includes incentive mechanisms for certain operating costs where variances from projected amounts would be shared between TC Energy and our customers. The settlement was a result of a collaborative process between us and our customers and is responsive to their needs during this challenging time while providing us with a stable return as we invest billions of dollars in pipeline infrastructure to enhance their connectivity um, of natural gas supply to, uh, to premium markets turning now to our liquids pipeline business which generated solid results during the first quarter despite extraordinary volatility in global crude oil markets While the volatility did have an impact on our market length and liquids marketing uh, businesses, Uh, Keystone continued to produce solid results as it serves an important market in the U.S. Midwest and Gulf Coast and is underpinned by long-term take-or-pay contracts with strong counterparties. Also in liquids pipelines, we recently announced that we would commence construction of Keystone pipeline or Keystone XL pipeline. Keystone XL is the fourth phase of the Keystone system and continues to be a very very important project for both Canada and the United States. It will create create thousands of jobs, advance energy security for both nations in an environmentally and sustainable way. The project is underpinned by a new 20 year take or pay contracts that are expected to generate um, approximately 1.3 billion US of incremental EBITDA on an annual basis once the pipeline is placed into service. Keystone XL will require an additional investment of approximately $8 billion U.S. and is expected to enter service in 2023. To advance the project, we have entered into a partnership with the Government of Alberta who will invest approximately $1.1 billion of equity into the project and fully guarantee a $4.2 billion U.S. project-level credit facility. Once the project is completed and placed into service, we expect to acquire the Alberta Government's equity investment and refinance the credit facility. We appreciate the ongoing backing of landowners, customers, Indigenous groups, and numerous other partners in the U.S. and Canada who have helped us secure project support and key regulatory approvals for this very important energy infrastructure project. In addition, I'd like to thank the many government officials across North America for their support, without which this project could not have advanced. Moving forward, we will continue to carefully manage various legal and regulatory matters as we construct this pipeline which will have the capacity to move about 830,000 barrels a day of responsibly produced energy from the Canadian oil sands to the continent's largest refining market in the U.S. Gulf Coast. Turning now to power and storage, where Bruce Power continued to produce solid results through the first uh, three months of this year. After years of preparation, in January, Bruce Power commenced work on the Unit 6 uh, major component replacement, or MCR, outage when they took it offline uh, here in January. We expect to invest approximately $2.4 billion in that program, as well as the ongoing asset management program through 2023, when the Unit 6 refurbishment is targeted to be uh, done. Unfortunately, because of COVID-19, on March 25th, 2020, Bruce Power declared force majeure under its contract with the independent electric system operator. This force majeure notice covers the Unit Uh, 6 MCR and certain asset management work. At the time the force majeure was declared, the Unit 6 MCR program was ahead of schedule. Despite the force majeure, Bruce Power has been able to continue limited work on critical path activities as well as training uh, for the MCR contractors. In late April, remobilization of the MCR workforce began with strict COVID-19 measures in place with respect to worker safety. The measures include shift adjustments to reduce headcount, increased personal protective equipment, physical distancing, and a reduction in non-critical work. Operations and planned uh, outages uh, on all other units are expected to continue as normal. Finally, in power, earlier this week, we completed the sale of three natural gas-fired power plants in Ontario, Napanee, Halton Hills, and our interest in the Portland's Energy Centre. Net proceeds of approximately $2.8 billion will be used to help fund our industry-leading capital program. So, in summary, uh, today we are advancing $43 billion of secured growth projects that are expected to enter service by 2023. We have invested approximately $12 billion into this program to date, with approximately $6 billion of these projects expected to be completed by the end of 2020. Notably, they are all underpinned by cost-of-service regulation or long-term contracts, giving us visibility to earnings and cash flow they will generate as they enter service. Based on the strength of our recent financial performance and our promising outlook for the future, in February, TC Energy's Board of Directors declared a first-quarter 2020 dividend of $0.81 per common share, which is equivalent to $3.24 on an annual basis. This represents an 8% increase over the amount declared for the same period in 2019 and is the 20th consecutive year that our, board of, that our Board of Directors has raised the dividend. Over that same time frame, we have maintained consistently strong coverage ratios with our dividend on average representing a payout of approximately 80% of comparable earnings and 40% of comparable funds generated from operations, leaving us with significantly internally generated cash flow to invest in our businesses. Based on the continued strong performance of our base business, the organic growth uh, and the organic growth we expect to realize as we advance our $43 billion secured capital program, we expect our dividend to grow uh, at an annual average rate of 8 to 10% through 2021 and 5 to 7% thereafter. So in summary, I'd leave you with the following key messages. Today, we are a leading North American energy infrastructure company with a strong track record of delivering long-term shareholder value. Our assets provide an essential service to the functioning of the North American society and its economy, and the demand for our services remains strong. Looking forward, we have five significant platforms for growth, Canadian, U.S., and Mexican natural gas pipelines, liquids pipelines, and power and storage. As we advance our $43 billion secured capital program, we expect to build on our long track record of growing earnings, cash flow, and dividends per share. We have also more than $10 billion projects in the advanced stages of development and expect numerous other in-corridor organic growth opportunities to emanate from our extensive critical asset footprints. Looking ability, working in uh, accordance with our values, and responding quickly to market signals and signposts to ensure we remain industry leading and resilient as we continue to grow shareholder value. I'll now turn the call over to Don, who will provide more details on our first quarter uh, results and our financial position. So Don, over to you.
3: Thanks, Russ, and good afternoon, everyone. As outlined in our results issued earlier today, net income attributable to common shares was $1.15 billion, or $1.22 per share in the first quarter of 2020, compared to $1 billion, or $1.9 per share for the same period in 2019. First quarter results included a positive $281 million income tax valuation allowance release following our reassessment of deferred tax assets that are deemed more likely than not to be realized as a result of our decision to proceed with Keystone XL. This was partially offset by an incremental after tax loss at $77 million related to the Ontario natural gas fired power plants held for sale. First quarter 2019 also included certain specific items outlined on the slide and discussed further in our first quarter 2020 report to shareholders. These specific items, as well as unrealized gains and losses from changes in risk management activities are excluded from comparable earnings. Comparable earnings in the first quarter rose by $122 million to $1.1 billion or $1.18 per share compared to $987 million or $1.07 per share in 2019, representing a 10% increase on a per share basis. Turning to our business segment results on slide 14, in the first quarter comparable EBITDA from our five operating segments was $2.5 billion, $152 million increase compared to 2019. Canadian natural gas Pipeline's comparable EBITDA of $597 million was 41 million higher than the same period last year, primarily on account of increased rate-based earnings, as well as flow through depreciation and financial charges on the NGTL system, from additional facilities placed in service. This was partially offset by lower flow through income taxes on both the NGTL system and the Canadian mainline as a result of accelerated tax depreciation measures enacted by the Canadian federal government in June 2019. NGTL system net income increased $22 million compared to first quarter 2019. As a result of a higher average investment base and continued system expansions and reflects an ROE of 10.1% on 40% deemed equity. Net income for the Canadian mainline decreased $5 million year over year, largely due to lower incentive earnings. The U.S. natural gas pipelines comparable EBITDA of 766 million U.S. or 1.032 billion Canadian in the quarter rose by $36 million U.S. or 60 million Canadian compared to the same period in 2019. The increase was mainly due to contributions from Columbia Gas and Columbia Gulf growth projects placed in service partially offset by the sale of certain Columbia midstream assets in August 2019. Mexico natural gas pipelines comparable EBITDA of 198 million US or 269 million Canadian was 88 million US or 123 million Canadian above first quarter 2019. The increase was primarily due to higher earnings in CERTA Texas, including US $55 million associated with one-time fees realized as a result of the successful completion of the project compared to contract targets, as well as fees received from operating the pipeline. LIQUID's pipelines comparable EBITDA declined by $118 million to $445 million in first quarter 2020, driven by lower uncontracted volumes on the Keystone Pipeline system a decreased contribution from liquids marketing activities due to lower margins and reduced earnings as a result of the partial monetization of Northern Courier in July, 2019. Power and storage comparable EBITDA rose by $43 million year over year to 194 million due to higher Bruce power results, which were augmented by an increased realized power price and higher production resulting from fewer outage days partially offset by losses on funds invested for post-retirement benefits. The higher contribution from Bruce Power was modestly offset by lower Canadian power results, largely due to an outage at our Mackay River cogeneration facility, which began late fourth quarter 2019, and the sale of the Coolidge generating station in May 2019. For all our businesses with US dollar denominated income, including US natural gas pipelines, Mexico natural gas pipelines, and parts of liquids pipelines, EBITDA was translated into Canadian dollars using an average exchange rate of 1.34 in first quarter 2020 compared similar to the rate used for the same period in 2019. As a reminder of our approach to managing foreign exchange exposure, our US dollar denominated revenue streams are partially hedged by interest on US dollar denominated debt. We then actively manage the residual exposure on a rolling one year forward basis with realized gains and losses on this program reflected in comparable interest income and other. Now turning to the other income statement items on slide 15 depreciation and amortization of $630 million increased $22 million versus first quarter 2019 largely due to new projects placed in service in Canadian natural gas pipelines and US natural gas pipelines. Depreciation in Canadian natural gas pipelines is recoverable in tolls on a flow through basis. Interest expense of 578 million for first quarter 2020 was 8 million lower year over year, primarily due to the net effect of higher capitalized interest the to the coastal gas link in Keystone XL, lower interest rates on higher levels of short term borrowings, and long term debt issuance's is net of maturities. AFUDC decreased 57 million dollars for the three months ended March 31 2020 compared to the same period in 2019 largely due to Columbia gas growth projects placed in service during 2019 and the suspension of recording AFUDC effective January 1st 2020 on Tua due to continuing construction delays comparable interest income and other increased by 19 million dollars in the first quarter versus 2019, primarily due to unrealized foreign exchange gains on peso denominated deferred income tax liabilities, reflecting the weakening of the Mexican peso in first quarter 2020. Income tax expense included in comparable earnings was $211 million in first quarter 2020 compared to $228 million for the same period last year. The $17 million decrease was mainly due to lower flow through income taxes on Canadian regulated pipelines inclusive of a lower Alberta corporate income tax rate, partially offset by lower foreign tax rate differentials and increased pre-tax earnings. Excluding Canadian rate regulated pipelines where income taxes are a flow through item and thus quite variable. Along with equity AFUDC income in US and, and Mexico natural gas pipelines, we expect our 2020 full year effective tax rate to be in the mid to high teens after normalizing for these items. Comparable net income attributable to non-controlling interest of $96 million in the first quarter, decreased by $5 million related to the same period last year, primarily due to lower earnings in TC Pipelines LP. And finally, preferred share dividends were comparable to first quarter 2019. Now turning to slide 16, During the first quarter, we invested approximately $2.3 billion in a capital program, which reflects 100% of coastal gas link spending, pending close of the equity sale to KKR and AINCO expected in the second quarter. Capital expenditures were largely funded with comparable funds generated from operations of $2.1 billion, along with cash on hand and notes payable. As everyone is acutely aware, capital market conditions have been significantly impacted by COVID-19, resulting in periods of dramatically heightened volatility and reduced liquidity. In response to this, we secured approximately $6.6 billion of additional financial capacity in early April through long-term debt issuances in Canada and the U.S. on compelling terms, along with the establishment of U.S. $2 billion of incremental committed credit facilities. Our solid financial position was bolstered earlier this week with the completion of the disposition of our three Ontario natural gas-fired power plants for $2.8 billion. The sale will result in a final estimated after tax loss of $370 million of which $271 million was realized on March 31st, 2020. The remaining amount will be recorded on close and reflected in second quarter 2020 results. These transactions have collectively added over $9 billion in incremental liquidity over the past month, enhancing our financial flexibility And demonstrating our continued access to capital markets under stressed market conditions looking forward our financial strength will improve further upon completing the partial monetization of and establishing project level financing for coastal gas link in late april we executed a credit agreement with the syndicate of banks extending non-recourse project level financing to fund the majority of the project's construction costs Credit facilities will be available to be drawn once conditions precedent have been met, including the closing of the equity purchase agreement with KKR and INCO, which is expected to occur in the second quarter. As Wes highlighted, we have also secured Government of Alberta support for Keystone XL in the form of a US $1.1 billion equity contribution and US $4.2 billion loan guarantee. Now turning to slide 17, this graphic highlights our forecasted sources and uses of funds in 2020. Starting in the left column are long-term debt maturities of $3.7 billion, dividend and non-controlling interest distributions of approximately $3.3 billion, and 2020 capital expenditures, which are now projected to be approximately $10 billion with the addition of Keystone XL and reflecting 100% of Coastal Gas Link up to close of the equity purchase agreement brings our total funding requirements for the year to approximately $17 billion. The second column highlights aggregate sources of approximately $17 billion, including forecast internally generated cash flow of approximately $7 billion, proceeds from the sale of Ontario natural gas-fired power plants of $2.8 billion, the sale of a 65% interest in coastal gas link and associated project level financing, which are together expected to generate approximately $2.2 billion, the government of Alberta's equity investment in Keystone XL, of 1.1 billion US or 1.5 billion Canadian and $3.7 billion of long-term debt that was issued in April. With the completion of these finance activities, we are effectively fully funded for 2020 and along with more than $13 billion of committed credit facilities in place and well-supported commercial paper programs in both Canada and the US, positioned to assuredly navigate a prolonged period of disruption should that occur. In conjunction with the Keystone FID, we announced the dividend reinvestment plan will be reinstated in 2021 and 2022 to help fund our portion of the project spend profile. Further, to provide additional financial flexibility in support of our credit metrics and overall capital program, we intend to file a $1 billion equity shelf to enable an at-the-market equity issuance program, which will be utilized if and as deemed appropriate. We continue to firmly believe there is value in maintaining credit ratings there at the top of our industry. Now turning to slide 18. In closing, I offer the following comments. Our solid financial and operational results in the first quarter continue to highlight our diversified low risk business strategy and reflect the robust performance of both our blue chip legacy portfolio, along with the contribution of equally high quality assets from our ongoing capital program. Our overall financial position remains strong we are well placed to fund our 43 billion billion secured capital program through resilient and growing internally generated cash flow and an array of attractive funding options our portfolio of critical energy infrastructure projects is poised to generate high quality long life earnings and cash flow for our shareholders underpinned by strong fundamentals solid counterparties and premium service offerings as well as germinate further attractive and executable in corridor opportunities. That is expected to support annual dividend growth of 8 to 10% in 2021 and 5 to 7% organic growth thereafter. Finally, we will continue to maintain financial strength and flexibility at all points of the economic cycle. That's the end of my prepared remarks. I'll now turn the call back over to David for the Q&A.
1: Thanks, Don. Uh, just a reminder, before I turn it over to the conference coordinator for questions from the investment community, uh, we would ask that you limit yourself to two questions in order to give everybody an opportunity. Uh, with that, I'll turn it over to the conference coordinator.
0: Thank you. Please press star 1 if you have a question at this time. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection and should you wish to cancel your question, please press pound. Our first question is from Robert Cadellier. Please go ahead, your line is now open.
4: Hi, thank you for your uh, presentation and comments today. I have a couple questions. The first one is on the Bruce force majeure. I just want to uh, confirm, it sounds like it was entirely due to COVID-19, but can you confirm that there were no issues related to uh, supply and chain management uh, so no difficulty getting any equipment or anything like that. And what was the response to the uh,
5: force majeure claim? Uh, hi, Robert. It's uh, Francois. I'll, I'll take that one. Uh, so, yes, I can confirm that the force majeure event was related to uh, COVID-19. Uh, you know, a lot of the work uh, taking place in the reactor uh, is uh, in under close quarters. Uh, with respect to our supply chain, we've had a, a very modest uh, um uh, number of suppliers, none of them critical uh, with some uh, some issues and uh, we've actually uh, been working hard to resolve uh, the, those issues with that very small number of suppliers and we don't expect uh, any of those issues to uh, to interrupt progress uh, for the project
4: okay and uh, my second question maybe uh, for Russ or Don uh, happy to see that you've uh, confirmed the dividend growth outlook. Uh, despite the significant volatility in the markets, um, not to mention the fact that you've added a major uh, growth project, so um, I, I'm just curious as to uh, you know what it m- might take to uh, shake the sanctity of that dividend growth outlook. And really, what I'm getting at is whether or not you think you'll get uh, you'll get value for that premium dividend growth rate, particularly the eight to ten percent in 2021.
2: Um, I'll start, uh, uh, it's Russ, and maybe Don wants to augment, but as you know, we, we take a long-term view on uh, on our capital allocation policy. It's been um, you know unchanged for, for almost two decades here. Um, uh, we use uh, 60% of our free cash flow, and we reinvest it in our core businesses, um, and we take 40% of it, and we return it to our shareholders in the form of a dividend. Uh, we've maintained that sort of a payout ratio for a long period of time. And uh, um, as you point out, you, you don't necessarily get value at, for it at all points in the cycle, but we believe over the long term, um, you know, uh, stability and predictability um, is a value to, to people. And as, uh, as we said before, um, when we provided that guidance of, of 8 to 10% through 2021, it was underpinned by growth uh, in earnings and cash flow per share. Um, and uh, it would be our plan to maintain similar payout ratios that, uh, that we've had in the past, uh, going forward and uh, I don't see any 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 need to change that or, or any reason to change that uh, Don
3: Yeah, I concur us um, Again, when we when we give dividend guidance it's it's really with that long-term perspective in mind and as we outlined at investor day um, 95% of our EBITDA um, comes from regulated long-term contracted assets. That'll increase to 98% once Keystone XL is in service. Um, and we we believe we have fairly solid visibility to, in the absence of Keystone XL, EBITDA that's largely locked in um, the $10 billion range at the end of this decade. So um, I think it, it speaks to the criticality of our assets and... Um, uh and, and just how you know, how important they are to the North American economy. So we are comfortable uh, with that guidance and uh, uh, with what we consider um, payout ratios that are eminently affordable and hopefully valued.
1: Okay, thank you and stay safe. Thanks, Rob
0: thank you our next question is from robert kwan from rbc capital markets please go ahead your line is now open
6: and good afternoon um if i can first start with a question on the ngtl settlement and specifically just under the settlement agreement can you just talk about the treatment of uh, volume uh, variances as well as any impact of customer bankruptcies um, so first just the treatment second how um the timing of of any cash true ups occur and else doesn't matter where on the system um there's either volume variances or customer bankruptcies e.g you know is it the core system versus something out on the edges like north main mainline
7: hi robert it's tracy here so the Please. revenue requir- the revenue requirement agreement that um we've just completed uh you know was a as Russ said earlier, was an effort uh, collaboratively across the system, uh, and you know, really kind of an alignment of our interests. So, you know, if you think about it, what it does is it gives um, our customers kind of through us incentives uh, for tolls for us to kind of expand prudently and to manage our tolls down, which is what they were, you know, what they're they're really concerned about. And for us, it gives us the assurances of the return on equity over a period of time where we do that expansion. So it's really around, you know, making sure that we're both aligned in the growth and the health of the basin. As it comes to the more specific issues around what happens if there are bankruptcies or other, it doesn't it doesn't deal with those things specifically. The tenants of the rate-regulated system uh, remain completely intact under this agreement. Um, so I'll leave it there, and you can uh, press on that a little if you need to.
6: Sure. Just kind of one follow-up. So, does that get parked? I assume it gets parked into a deferral account. Are you able to dispose of that during the agreement period, or do you have to wait for the five-year settlement to be to be done before to work it back into new rates?
7: No, the toll system, uh, the toll arrangement of uh, determining tolls under disagreement is the same as it would normally be. Uh, okay. What the what the incentive structure is is that we've established with our customers what what you know we would predict tolls to be in the future. And if we can work our capital program and our expenses in a manner that tolls fall below that projected level, then there are some benefits to us, uh, particularly in depreciation rates. If um, tolls come in above those baseline numbers, uh, you know, then the agreement can be open, not the return on equity, but the agreement, some of the other provisions in the agreement can be revisited. There's also an incentive structure uh, embedded in agreement, not dissimilar to what you've seen before in the NGTL agreements around costs, operating costs. Uh, and so there's no specific um, provisions around deferrals.
6: Perfect. Got it. Uh, and then if I can just finish turning to the liquids system, uh, Keystone and Market Links, are you able to give an update as to what um, flows and specifically either price sensitive or interruptible flows are on, on both oh. systems? today compared to where you were in the first quarter and then is there also an update on the uh the spill analysis and the, and the pipe that was sent for evaluation
8: sure rob it's uh it's here it's paul here on the uh on the first question our uh, keystone system x hardesty ran just about uh just under capacity and uh recall with the uh spill we had late last year we were going to be ramping up um, throughout the uh, first quarter. So we ran just below capacity. We, and that compares about the same as where we were um, Q1 of 19 and on a uncontracted spot basis, we were slightly ahead of where we were in Q1 19, uh, in Q1 20, probably about a almost a, a penny higher. On the southern end of our system, this is where we saw a reduction in flows. We probably had about, um, probably had about, uh, let's call it um, three cents, three and a half cents lower earnings generated from our market link in our Q120 versus Q119. On the um, spill cause, what we've uh, what the independent root uh, cause failure analysis determined that the uh, the failure was a result of a uh, crack due to a weld defect with the pipe from the manufacturer. Um, we have developed, or in the process of developing, technology that will allow us to detect these types of features elsewhere in the system. And uh, we continue to do um, other maintenance and integrity work across the entire system as a result of the uh, Enberg um, spill. I think that what that's going to mean for us going forward on the Keystone system is uh, we will probably see flows in Q2, Q3, about the same as we saw in Q1 as we um, worked the various integrity programs on the system.
6: With, and with paul with those flat flows that's really a function though more of the work you're doing rather than what's being put through the system and demanded from on the system
8: yeah it's kind of a combination of uh, robert i see the um, <clears throat> keystone continues to enjoy um high demand uh, notwithstanding some of the supply cuts we've seen uh, particularly in alberta uh, we have a lot of features that uh, shippers find attractive as far as our ability to uh, get to the market quicker with a competitive toll. And uh, we are also seeing more light volume come into the system. And with our bullet line design, we have exceptional product quality, which becomes even more important as you move um, later volumes. So we continue to uh, see good volumes uh, through the system. Um, but there will be, I think, extra capacity available to us with some of the supply decreases so we're going to take advantage of perhaps some of those lower supplies and uh, bring some of that maintenance and integrity work uh, forward so going to be a bit of a combination thank you very much you're welcome
0: thank you our next question is from jeremy Tonitz with jp morgan please go ahead your line is now open
5: hi good afternoon just want to start off with I think uh, counterparty concern is a big issue in the marketplace right there. And uh, you guys seem to be in a pretty good position. I think you talk about IG being kind of a material percentage of your counterparty there. But I was wondering if you could share a bit more color as far as percentage-wise or any other details as far as what your exposure to investment grade versus non-investment grade is right now and when you're talking to your you know producer customers in different basins do you sense any kind of stress there or expectations just bankruptcy in general how that might impact you
3: if that were to come to fruition jeremy it's on here i'll start out and i'll i'll turn it over to uh to my colleagues to get a little, little more color in their specific business areas um we're, uh, yeah, our customer base is, is heavily investment grade, um, and I think the value of the service is, is indicated in a couple ways. One is just the high capacity utilization we continue to see here, and things like the NGTL deal where um, we have supply push customers for the most part willing to sign a five-year uh, five deal with us to, um, uh, to underpin the system there um where we uh where we have um i guess more strained counterparties or lesser investment grade counterparties to be concentrated more on the supply push side in the wcsb and in appalachia um you know but to date our our revenue cycles aren't showing anything anomalistic uh in terms of uh uh payments and again um uh, system utilization remains very high and these are very advantage-based and so Maybe I'll turn it over to, uh, to Stan and Tracy to, uh, to add a little more color on their respective customer bases.
5: Hey, Jeremy, this is Stan. Um, a thoughtful question, and while we have seen several producer downgrades over the past couple of weeks, overall our view of how we're handling this producer exposure really hasn't changed. Uh, we're still holding about a billion dollars of collateral predominantly in the form of letters of credit, we're still seeing high load factors uh, with more than half of our large producers flowing at load factors in excess of 90%. Uh, tells us that producers are continuing to get proper value for the capacity that they hold on our system, um, specifically given the fact that TECO Pool, the Columbia Gas Trading Point, trades at a premium to uh Tetco M2 or Dominion South Point. Uh, many of our producers have attractive hedges in place for 2020. And the, the recent price run-up we've seen on the, uh, the NYMEX curve for 21 in particular, where prices are up uh, almost 40 cents, are not only going to allow for, for higher cash flow in realized prices, but also better hedged positions for 2021. Uh, more good news, uh, you know, capital markets seem to be opening up to the producers, and we're seeing some transactions being completed. And uh, some producers are using these proceeds to, uh, to buy back debt at discounted values or to, uh, to repurchase outstanding uh, equity shares. And that, in turn, is driving uh, equity valuations up uh, pretty much across the board over the past 30 days or, or so. So our, our producer exposure, in, in our view, continues to be manageable, and it's, uh, it's good to hear some positive news on that front. With respect to our overall customer mix, at least within uh, the U.S. gas business, you could generically think of us as having about uh, a third of our portfolio uh, being covered by end users, a third producers, and then a third third marketers. At least for the uh, the top 40 of our customers that generate about 70 or 75 percent of our revenues.
7: Jeremy, I'll add a little bit on that on the WCFB. Sam, were you done?
5: Yes, I'm done, Tracy.
7: Okay, I'll add a little bit on the WCFB. Uh, much of the same about um, you know, two-thirds of our customers are, are revenues, rather, come from investment-grade uh, customers. And uh, nearly 90% is creditworthy. And for those others that are out there, uh, we have collateral, you know, pursuant to the terms of both the tariff and the contracts. So without a doubt, though, we're watching this very closely, and we do know that there are uh, some of our customers out there who are struggling with some near-term issues on equity valuations and liquidity. The federal government, of course, in Canada has... Uh, announced a program that we think offers a prospect of helping with some of that in the near term and we believe and hope that of course this is a near term issue because as Dan said the fundamentals of gas right now are largely unchanged if you look at the, the price curve as you go out this is um, not a bad place to be right now so we are positive
8: positive. and Jeremy it's Paul here maybe I'll just give you a bit of visibility in, on the on the liquid side on the Keystone shippers we have a small number of uh, a large, creditworthy, investment-grade counterparties. The uh, vast majority are integrated, or they have arrangements in place to move productions to their uh, associated uh, refineries. Um, they're, um, I would say they're probably weighted average in that triple B plus range. So generally, uh, well-capitalized and diversified um, shipper group.
0: Thank you. Our next question is from Linda with PD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Thank you.
9: I just want to get a better understanding of how we might think of the path forward for Keystone Excel to the extent that um, you're running some scenarios potentially. I'm just wondering at what point the project's progress might be bottlenecked if um, the Permit 12 issue um is not resolved and and starts to um, become on the critical path and maybe um you can walk us through uh, some understanding of where on the u.s route what percentage potentially crosses wetlands and waterways and what work could be done uh, in the u.s in advance of uh, resolving that permit
10: specifically hi linda this is uh bevan i'll uh, take that question um, so yes, as uh, as you say, um, the district court and federal district court in Montana um, vacated our nationwide permit 12 on April 15th. On the 29th, uh, we filed a motion to stay that order, um, and w- we have a number of options that we're working with respect to curing um, both the regulatory and legal aspects of of that as as you are likely well aware that nationwide permit 12 is utilized by many industries across uh, the united states for any such uh, utility related type project that crosses a waterway so we we are um, working those options and feel like we have our strategy formed there and it will be it will evolve to the circumstances with respect to the scope, we had always anticipated and uh, the need to be agile in our construction management and our planning and to have the availability of, of optionality of scope through the balance of the construction windows. Um, and so as we're continuing even today to progress the border crossing, which is um, ahead of schedule, uh, we are moving pipe uh, around uh, pipe yards uh, continuing camp construction and looking at uh, the various pump stations and pipe spreads that we could achieve um, in the event that we're completely uh, blocked by this um, this current ruling or current situation Um, to your question on how much of the right-of-way is it would prohibit us to advance there are there is an ability to pursue Uh, individual permits there are there is the ability to advance construction in different ways and avoid certain routes Um, those all come with uh, incremental adjustments to the project that we're considering and weighing against the alternatives but we do believe that uh, our current plans today you know, obviously, our preferred path is to march forward with the, the spreads that we have identified for the U.S. Uh, but we do maintain that we will be able to complete a significant amount of work uh, in the United States in 2020, even if it isn't uh, the same scope under which we we began the year. Um, just also want to comment, Linda, that we have had the ability to. Uh, progress well in Canada and those the activity in Canada will not be subject to those that nationwide permit 12
9: that's very helpful context thank you and and maybe um, just a bigger uh, picture question and I realize it's early days but I'm wondering if the board and management have put some thought to um, how uh, this pandemic and and some of the industry challenges might prompt uh, TC energy to reassess their approach to a long-term strategic plan and focus, whether it be potential changes in con- consumer behavior or preferences, um, government policy or regulations potentially shifting in markets that you operate, including uh, certain uh, government uh, support for certain parts of the industry, and um, you know, and I guess within that, I guess it's unknowable in terms of um, the effects, the long-term effects. Um, you know, we know they'll be significant, but I'm just wondering if it might warrant. A bit of a permanent shift in, in how you approach um, your strategic priorities,
2: um, Linda. I guess it is it is early to, address, um, you know, pretty early to, uh, to determine whether or not there's any shift required in our long-term plan. Um, I think what's what's evident um, over the last few weeks is been, you know, the critical nature of, of of what we do. I think, as all of our, um, our business unit leads here pointed out. Every part of our system is operating at a high load factor. Um, as well, you know, every part of our construction program across North America has been deemed essential service. Um, so while you know, they, you know, the, the, the debate will continue in terms of uh, you know, the form of energy that will be required uh, going forward, uh, there's no question that you know, the that, that demand for reliable, affordable energy will continue for some time to come. And owning existing infrastructure and footprint will be a huge advantage in, uh, in capturing that growth. So I don't think that you know, we, at the current time, we're not seeing any shift in, uh, in our strategy, but maybe more just a, a reconfirmation of, of what we've been focused on is uh, uh, you know, demand for energy will continue to grow. Um, and uh, we're looking at the, at the most efficient way of, of, of achieving that. And uh, where we've leaned in around our existing footprinting corridor, Seems to be uh, um, you know, a, a doable thing, and I suspect uh, you know, as, as things move forward, it'll become even more doable. Obviously, so some of our protocols will have to be adjusted uh, on our construction sites in the in the coming weeks and months. Um, we, we've been introduced the protocols that have been uh, required to date. I expect to see more of those, uh, but we're seeing no pushback at all um, in terms of continuing construction. And I guess maybe the last point I would make is we're hearing from you know, governments, both local, uh, state, provincial, and federal, um, that uh, construction-ready projects are going to be critical to uh, putting people back to work as uh, as we uh, emerge from this crisis. Um, and then the, uh, uh, the knock-on effects that come with, you know, economic stimulus, uh, people buying, you know, us uh, buying, you know, parts and pieces, tires, trucks, uh, all of those things, are going to be a huge boost to the economy, and at least what we're seeing today, um, you know, no pushback in terms of the tens of thousands of people that we're going to have on the ground working. So, I'd say directionally, all things point to uh, you know reaffirmation of our strategy as opposed as opposed to uh, a change in direction.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from Andrew Kuski with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Your line is now open.
2: Thank you. Good afternoon.
11: Um, We've obviously seen a number of severe dislocation cycles before. This one's obviously unique in a number of respects. And in those dislocation cycles, we've seen the debt raters move the goalposts at, at various times. So you've had a situation of growing the business, deleveraging the company. But I guess the questions are, where do you really want to land it? Like what metrics are you focused on? And what credit ratings are you focused
3: on? Hi, Andrew, it's Dawn here. Um, there's really been no change to our thinking here. We continue to target long-term debt to EBITDA in the high fours and and uh, FFO to debt in the 15% area. We think that's appropriate for a business risk or um, the corporate structure, the simple corporate structure that we have um, and the right balance between equity and debt. We believe that triangulates into the current ratings that we have and we have recently... Um, Uh, leading up to the Keystone XL uh, announcement engaged the rating agencies um, in a fairly extensive review of our business and our plans to execute that project and you saw what came out of that so um, you know aside from moving goalposts which we have seen before um, uh, or retroactive uh, decision-making or macro calls we're, we're fairly comfortable with, with our capital structure, with our coverages, and uh, we look to the rating agencies' uh, recent pronouncements that, that you know this you know, what we have in front of them should keep us at the very top end of our industry, which is where we want to be in terms of the credit rating.
11: Okay, that's helpful. And then maybe just one follow-up, and uh, it's in the geeky detail of, of the notes to the financials, and it's really just on the derivative marks. Obviously, there's a lot of volatility in Q1. And the marks that you had, they, they changed quite a bit, but maybe just on the interest rate derivatives, what portion of the interest rate derivatives were for existing versus planned issuance over the course of the
3: year? Yeah, the, uh, the anomaly in Q1 uh, is early this year, once we um, executed the Coastal Gas Link joint venture agreement, we entered into interest rate hedges um on the construction financing, and project financing for that project which will get rolled into the uh, uh the final financing and amortized over the life of those um uh, of those instruments so that is the big change in this quarter that um, those positions were entered entered into in very early 2020. okay
2: that's great thank you
0: Thank you. Our next question is from Robert Hope from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Your line's now open.
11: Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, just uh, one question for me. Uh, just want to get a sense of how you're thinking about allocation of capital. Uh, you look relatively fully funded for 2020, but you did add some liquidity. And just want to think about your willingness to add on new projects or M&A. Uh, in an environment where you, you know, significantly added to your backlog with Keystone Excel, which does you know, put some upward pressure on your uh, metrics over the next two years?
2: Um, I'll, uh, you know, I think you've pointed out correctly. I mean, we've got a lot on our slate um, and a pretty good visible plan uh, to continue to growing uh, cash flow uh, earnings and, and dividends over the, the, the coming years. Um, that said, I mean, we'll always you know, the, the reason that we've maintained, um, you know, I would say, that, the, the best credit rating, ratings in the industry and ensure that we have some financial flexibility and continued access to marketers to be able to act if, if good opportunities that add shareholder value arise. We're, we're not actually you know, on, on a hunt for any of those things right now, but uh, obviously for the right circumstance that would, uh, would add shareholder value, we, we would act. But, but currently, we're pretty comfortable with our plans. We've got lots to do um i think it's been pointed out again by all of our business unit you know, leads and and don you know all of our businesses is underpinned by strong fundamentals first um our growth projects uh, that they're, they're still needed in the market we've obviously retested that here in the short run with all of our customers do you still want us to continue to build and and the answer has been uh, unequivocally yes um you know backed by strong creditworthy counterparties uh construction progress will be uh you know potentially a little bit slower than we anticipated, but that, you know, because they're a rate regulated or, or underpinned by long-term contracts, a pretty good visibility, cash flow and earnings. So we've got a great plan uh, in front of us. Our, our uh, focus right now is on execution. Um, but if, you know, if the right things come along, we will, uh, we will add them to portfolio. I certainly expect that we will see, you know, continued, you know, smaller. Projects that you know those five hundred million dollar to $1 billion dollar additions to our, our footprint will continue to come to us. Uh, um, those haven't have stopped coming, and so I would I would you can expect the SBA to continue to to try to add those to the portfolio here over over the coming years. In terms of large scale, you know, new greenfield um, large scale builds, I don't really see you know that on on the horizon. We don't have uh, uh, you know many of those in, in our portfolio today. the kinds of things we're we're, we're shooting for more niche oriented things like the pump storage project in ontario uh, those kinds of things would be on the larger scale um but but they're out there you know quite a few years from from today Uh, i don't know don if you want to add anything to that
3: yeah i'll just a couple other comments here even if you do land anything that's that's greenfield in nature brownfield it's it's generally by the time you get through a permitting process uh, a couple of years out before you're spending any significant capital on that opportunity, and uh, from a credit metric perspective, by embarking on Keystone XL um, with the mix of financing that we've, we've indicated here, which is pretty much all subordinated, it's it's turning on the drip and a hybrid issue. Um, we uh, we don't see huge upward pressure on our credit metrics our, our debt yield, but uh, temporarily goes into, we'll call it the low fives uh, through what we hope is a compressed um, construction period, then then returns back into the high fours once Keystone XL is completed.
0: All right.
6: That's great. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question is from Jeremy Tonnet with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead.
5: My questions have been addressed. Uh, Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question is from Asit Sen with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Your line's now open.
4: Thanks. Good afternoon. If I could uh, go to uh, Keystone Excel in Montana and on permit 12, I was wondering if you could uh, provide your thoughts on um, the next watch items for investors and any sense of potential delay in some of the options that you're exploring
10: sure thank you this is Bevin uh, speaking as you, uh, the 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 you know the long term uh potential delay with any of these kind of uh, very omnibus type uh, filings or motions uh, to vacate a permit that broad um could have up to a year delay on the ultimate project um much like many of the many of uh, the circumstances that we've faced historically however we've been mitigating um, those types of impacts by way of pursuing other forms of the scope in parallel um, which was what we had anticipated prior to taking FID is that we have been following uh, the regulatory standards and um, the rule of law and we feel that we'll ultimately cure the issues that are present in front of us right now, and be able to continue pursuing activities. Um, you know, I, I don't uh, believe it's appropriate for me to comment to to, to to speculate on what the what what maybe the next uh, what an, another turn of events could be. Right now, we feel we have our plans in place to either construct the scope that we had shared uh, with the market, or we have an alternative plan that is well underway um, to satisfy moving the project forward. Appreciate it. And, uh, Russ, Dan, if if I could
4: um, ask you a big-picture question, could you speak to the M&A environment currently? How do you compare this cycle to uh, previous ones? Uh, Any broad thoughts?
2: Um. I guess maybe is that uh, uh, as I think about you know, sort of an M and A cycle, um, you know, our our uh, we tend to be counter cyclical in in our M and A activity. Um, so what we look for is opportunities to buy high quality assets at, at reasonable prices. Our experience has been historically that those potentially come available in these times of, of tightened liquidity, um, where you know it, it's. Uh, um, it's a lower cost form of accessing liquidity to sell um, assets than maybe some of the other options that, that the companies might have. So I think that's where opportunity might lie for us again. Um, but you know, in the current time, we're not we're not seeing that. But you know, as you think about the times we've acted and transacted in the past, it's it's been at those times where you know we've uh, been able to use our, our strong competitive financial position when others didn't have that that same capacity uh, to act and buy you know. Really good assets at, at reasonable prices. So, you know, it, it has some of the uh, the current environment has some of the attributes of what we've seen before. You know, the financial crisis and and uh, and the like uh, that we've seen in the past. But uh, uh, to date, you know, we haven't seen anything um, uh, come available. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question is from Patrick Kenny with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Your lines now open.
12: Yeah, good afternoon, everybody. Um, Just wanted to go back to the discussion surrounding force majeure due to COVID, uh, but thinking more specifically about your contracts on the base Keystone. Uh, As you mentioned, Paul, you know, we haven't seen any real um, volume reduction yet, Uh, but of course, depending on how deep producers cut capex and shut in production over the coming months, I know it's hypothetical at this point, but uh, I'm just wondering if you can confirm what exposure you might have within your take-or-pay agreements, assuming a shipper does try to declare force majeure on Keystone.
8: Uh, Patrick, under our um, take-or-pay contracts, there is no provision for um, force majeure, be it for supply or production upsets or otherwise. Um, and I think where we sit um, today with, uh, with Keystone, when you consider the... Um, markets we serve, when you consider our, um, you know, the advantages we bring to marketplace as far as the product, qual- product quality, the direct path, um, the visibility into uh, delivery times, um, I feel confident that um, we will continue to run at high volume. Then you consider the take or pay nature of our contracts and being 94% contracted on Keystone. I, I don't foresee any... Um, uh, significant reduction uh, in the throughput uh, notwithstanding um, what we're seeing on the supply side and not what notwithstanding what we're seeing with some of the uh, challenges with uh, some differentials
12: okay great thanks for that clarification um, uh, and then on the liquidity front and you know looking at the upcoming sale of, of coastal gas link uh, you get the project financing in place but just curious what conditions and consents to close the deal um, might be at risk in this environment you know are there any construction milestones outstanding by the end of the quarter or um, any clarification required by the buyers with respect to the deal between ottawa and, and the hereditary chiefs just just wondering if there's could be any speed bumps to uh, delay closing at this point
3: hi it's Don. um I'll start out by saying that the project financing, the construction facility has closed in escrow, so um, we believe we're on track to completing the equity purchase agreement in late May, and the conditions precedent and the path to closure, there's there's really nothing particularly unusual in there, um, other than normal conditions precedent and, and the passage of notification periods.
7: Patrick, it might be interesting just to note as well that the agreement you referenced between the federal government, the government of British Columbia and the Wet'suwet'en, is not related in any way to this project. It speaks to, we're told, the broader issues around uh, rights and title.
12: Okay, that's great. That's it for me, guys. Thanks.
0: Thank you. Our next question is from Schnur Gershuni from UBS. Please go ahead. Your line's now open.
11: Hi. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, most of my questions have, have been asked and answered at this stage. At this late stage, um, maybe I just wanted to revisit the the dividend question that was asked at the very beginning. I do appreciate um, the color and commentary you gave with respect to you know the targets over the longer term period. But I, I was kind of wondering if there was a more vigorous debate at the board level this this time around, just you know, given the impact of COVID-19, the fact that it could last longer than than people are forecasting, and contrasting that with the fact that you're now turning the drip back on, we're talking about an ATM and so forth. And so, you know, did it make sense to maybe lower the targets a little bit in the near term um, and and sort of re-review it, or
2: was that really not part of the discussion at all? Um, you know, no, it wasn't part of the discussion. I mean, what you know our, our, the discussion um, around dividend really hinges on you know the, the visibility and sustainability of uh, cash flow and earnings growth going forward. And as we sat down with our board, um, you know, here here over the last couple of days, um, you know, we looked at you know that the, the cash flow of the base business, you know, any uh, potential impacts on that going forward. Um, impacts on our ability to uh, to get capital in the ground and uh, and get the uh, the projects that we've got uh, in progress uh, cash flowing, and at the current time we don't see any disruption in in, in either of those, uh, and therefore I mean no impact on on their view as to ter- as to what our, our our dividends should be on on a go forward basis. When you think about something like uh, you know Keystone XL, um, the uh, uh, the issuance of, of, of some equity um, is is a way to finance a long-term project that will bring um, you know uh, long-term cash flow um, to our to our shareholders. So it's you know, it's very you know it's an accretive um, project. Um, in terms of, of the risk capital going in between now and, and the end of the year, for example, um, you know that's primarily covered by by an equity injection from the Alberta government. Once we get post the end of the year. Uh, two thirds of the capital comes from the uh, the credit facility that's provided from um, the uh, the government of Alberta. And as as, as Dwayne, Don pointed out, you know those are all um, mezzanine level um, facilities. It shouldn't impact uh, our 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 creditworthiness in any way. So, as we think about you know financing long term projects, um, we have never looked to uh, you know impairing our dividend growth rate. Um, and we've never got it too far ahead of ourselves. Um, we've never um, um, uh, been, I think, too anemic. We found a place that, as I said, is about forty uh, percent of our cash flow going back to uh, back to our shareholders, um, and then you know using the sixty percent to uh, uh, you know to grow the company. And uh, what we found is investing that sixty percent um, has has driven a growth rate of you know you know seven eight percent over the last uh, number of years, and we've been able to augment that by doing you know. Um, projects that, that, that have a return that's greater than, than about 8%. And when you look at the creativeness of, uh, of, of Keystone XL, I think as we sort of look at uh, the overall value to our shareholders, it makes sense for us to, to finance in, in the way that we have um, suggested and not impairing our, 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 our dividend growth rates. Um, Don, I don't know if you want to add to that, but I, I, as I said, I, I think that playing with your um, uh, dividend payout ratios on a short-term basis, um, to try to, um, uh, you know, uh, get the best possible value out of the market at a given instant in time is fraught with risk. Uh, we believe that uh, long-term consistency uh, and discipline around a capital uh, allocation program over the long term yield the best results for our, our shareholders, and I think we've proven that out over the last uh, 20 years. As uh, as folks have come at us with different questions at different times in the cycle of whether we would accelerate or decelerate our uh, our, our capital o- allocation program and our dividend payout ratios, and uh, we've stuck to uh, you know the, the discipline that we uh, have, and, and we believe that has produced uh, um, you know good long-term shareholder value and stability. So that
11: uh, that definitely makes a ton of sense there. Um, maybe to just to follow up a little bit, um, you know, when I sort of think about North American midstream, you know, company after company, you have know, seen CapEx reductions, and I, I think you've kind of bucked that trend a little bit. Uh, is it more effective that your business tends to be more regulated in nature, contracted in nature, and there's really, you know, not that kind of an adjustment process that, that you have to be in that's kind of a differentiating factor for, for TC Energy, or you know how should how should we think about that as to how you've been different than than the others?
2: Well, again, I would I would you know I can't speak to others' programs, but our focus has been on um, uh, assets that are un- underpinned by long term fundamentals. Um, and you think of something like uh, uh, Bruce Power or, uh, or Keystone XL, Coastal Gas Link. um, You know, long term fundamentals were. Um, we believe that that infrastructure will be used and useful and utilized for many decades to come um, maybe a differentiating factor is we don't bet on that um, you know we uh, uh, we have that uh, reconfirmed with with long-term contracts or rate regulated contracts where a regulator approves um, you know those assets for for the long term and when you look across our assets in, in our 43 billion dollar capital program um, you know we haven't taken commodity risk um and uh, we haven't taken what I would call back-end contract risk, and I think those are, you know, two things that uh, uh, you know people are probably struggling with right now. If uh, if if capital projects are subjected to commodity risks, and uh, you have the kind of volatility we've seen, you know, you have to um, you know you adjust your programs accordingly. But if you think of what we're doing for the most part on the pipeline side, is we're building access, more market access for uh, for customers. The single greatest um, impediment to, uh, um, uh, net back crisis has been, you know, not being able to build the infrastructure required to get to market and, uh, and, and very wide differentials. Um, so as we went back to our shippers, the best example I would have is, uh, is, is the five year agreement that we just put in place with our, our shippers that gives us the stability, um, to continue to attract capital to build the egress that they need for the long Um, and, uh, and and again, you know, so reaffirm those. We we understand that you know some of those uh, shippers are facing you know near term liquidity issues that uh, that are fairly acute. But at the same time, recognize that their long term interests are best served by you know us continuing to build the infrastructure um, to support the industry over the long term. We believe that Western Canada, for example, is is one of the lowest cost basins in North America, one of the lowest cost basins in the world. And, uh, and it will continue to compete for market share going forward uh, but what they need market access to be able to do that. so um, I think we're you know, we, we may be unique um, but that's certainly the discipline that we've had in looking at every project that we take on is it has to have those characteristics and uh, I think by sticking to that discipline um, has, has served us very well.
11: Perfect. Uh, thank you very much guys. Uh, stay safe and enjoy the
0: weekend. Thank you too. Thank you. Our next question is from Matthew Taylor with Tudor Pickering and Company. Please go ahead. Your line is now open.
3: Hey, thanks, everyone. Um, just on 2020 earnings guidance, I know we're only one quarter in, but pretty fast. Start out of the gate, 10% higher year over year. I'm just curious what parts of your business are most impacted uh, COVID-19 related or other weakness in the next couple of quarters that, uh, that you felt like leaving the February earnings guidance is consistent with 2019 unchanged? Yeah, it's, it's dawn here. Um, some pluses and minuses that largely net out uh, at the end of the day. Um, we've, uh, we've been expecting the one time-ish uh, benefit from the sort of Texas fees, so that, that, you know, that's in there. But when you look at things like visibility to um, liquids marketing, market link, um, uh, got some tax uh, pluses and minuses, et cetera, uh, we generally come back to, uh, um, to where we started the year with uh, earnings largely um, consistent with, with 2019. So it's a bunch of pluses and minuses. There's nothing, I would say, particularly covid related um uh that's pervasive in that in that outlook right now we it's kind of steady as it goes um with some limited visibility in just some pockets of the business right now that's great thanks don and then maybe one more housekeeping question if i if i can on the 2020 capex guidance of 10 billion does that does that include the expected slowdown i know you guys said it's uncertain at this point in time but spending on projects like bruce power and coastal gas leak and then does it include the full assumption of, of utilizing the government's equity investment in 2020? Yeah, it's Don again here. Um, so we were at $8 billion in February in the in the annual report. It's $10 billion now. They, essentially, the entire delta is the uh, inclusion of Keystone XL, uh, and the vast majority of that will be funded by the government of Alberta's equity contributions. So... Uh, both the the uses and sources are up um, and and largely net out there. In terms of uh, COVID related uh, slowdowns, um, I wouldn't say we've we've incorporated much in there because it's early days and we are not entirely sure um, how material this this might be. So that's something we'll look at in the coming coming weeks and months here as we assess the um uh the restart conditions uh on our projects any um anything that that may change there it's not necessarily supply demand uh, related it is it is really how how fast can we safely build things um within governmental and health authority uh, regulations thanks Don. much appreciated thanks for taking my question thanks.
0: thank you Once again, please press star one if you have a question. Our next question is from Michael Lapidus with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead, your line is now open.
10: Hey guys, very thorough conference call. Mine's been asked and answered. Much appreciated though.
1: Thanks Michael.
0: We have no further questions registered at this time.
1: Okay, great. Uh, Thank you and thanks to all of you for participating today. Uh, we uh, obviously very much appreciate your interest in TC Energy. Uh, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. In the meantime, obviously, we wish you and your families uh, good health. Now.
0: Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time. We thank you for your participation.